Ooh, I like the beat this week. When that beat dropped, it hit extra nice. Another one. Welcome to episode 12 of Behind the Founder podcast. My name is Jonathan Margell, and we will be joined with number 56 defenseman from the Zurich Lions, Max Noro Bro. <laughs> what an intro, Maxi. In this week's episode, we're going to be focusing on all things hockey. We're going to talk about the perfect goal, superstitions, how COVID has affected hockey, the return to hockey in Switzerland. Man, I dare you to say hockey one more time. We jump into equipment, smelling salts, and we discuss health and how Max takes care of his body and is able to play at such a high level for so many years. In case you're tuning into this episode as a first time listener and didn't realize, this is actually the second part of a two part exclusive interview with one of my best friends and brothers. And I am so excited. I can't wait for you to hear it. Captain Kaplan, what's that little noise that I'm hearing right now? The little... That one. I like that. I'm gonna make that my ringtone, bud. So enough with the shenanigans. Let's get into the interview and get things popping, baby. We are back from that special, special new, new Avi Kaplan. Max, welcome back to Behind the Founder podcast. We're going to get into the hockey stuff now. How was the first half? Did you have a good time? Yeah, it was awesome, man. I'm just wondering when I get to ask questions at the end, right? No, no, uh, no answer. Next question. No? Okay. Ne- next, ne- next podcast. Max, describe to the listeners how you envision the perfect goal. The perfect goal would be, as a defenseman, or the way that I play, just skating out the ice without the puck, seeing the play develop, knowing I have a forward skating down the wing who's just waiting for me to get onside, and throwing me a nice sauce as the late guy, and just being me against the goalie, and just beating him clean, complete elbowing in, puck comes flying out then i can flip it up to myself and maybe throw it up into the stands that a kid <laughs> mid game would that would that be pretty nice would that be pretty nice i think so i would take that goal that sounds like the <laughs> sickest goal <laughs> what is your favorite shootout move of all time that i would do or that i've seen you know what let's get frisky both okay so the nicest one i've seen is probably, I think it was Jokinen, how we would always, like, for years, was able to just do the exact same move and, like, head fake goalies and wait, 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 and then just with one hand reach out on the other side and just slip the puck in at, like, one kilometer an hour into the open net. I thought that was, at that level, with how good the goalies are, to be able to just absolutely undress a goalie and, like, slip it in with one hand is was pretty nasty and for me i mean over the years i developed i mean i didn't really shoot out that much but over the last couple years i've been doing pretty well and i mean i have the one at the olympics that that i did that i've been doing pretty consistently that i should have scored on ended up hitting the post between the goalie's legs but um you know that one's kind of high risk high rewards so i don't mind that uh what is that describe that to the listeners uh, I mean, yeah, as a right-handed shot, you would come down the right side and 
from the top of the circle. You have to be confident enough and you would you would pivot and skate backwards on an angle like towards the net and then fake like you're going to pull it to your backhand and as you do that the goalie is going to slide and try to open up and go to the post and you just slip it like at half speed through his legs and hopefully it just like slips in ever so smoothly oh my goodness how much communication have you had with your team or the league in switzerland what's the plan to returning to the ice what are you hearing post-covid what's the story all signs are really positive right now in Switzerland, which is, which is great. I'm really happy. It seems to be going really well uh, containing COVID. And um, I mean, the Swiss are, are they're a big community over there. I think that everyone looks out for each other. They all say hi to each other, whether you know the other person or not. I think for them, it goes a long way that they know if they do their part, the person next to them will do their part. And if everyone does that. So I'm not surprised that they're doing so well. They've been pretty much open you know everything free except for like major sporting events and like concerts but everything else has been opened and they're getting like very minimal minimal cases a day so for now the plan is for the season to start on time the only hiccup is knowing what the government's going to decide in the next month about how big of an indoor audience you can have for some of these events and i think that will affect a lot what teams decide to do if they wait a little bit longer or do they just go ahead and, you know, play at 40 or 50% capacity? You know what? Let me pivot super fast because I had another question that you gave a good opening for right now. I've always wondered this. Do fans significantly impact gameplay at home, on the road? Are you hearing the chirps? Are you blocking out all that noise? What is that like? I think, yeah, the fans are huge for sure. Ask anyone who's played in the NHL and they'll tell you right away, Montreal is one of the best places to play, maybe one of the most intimidating. And now you can probably put, I guess, like a Vegas in that category where you come in, the fans are there, they're, they're hockey fans, but they know the game. Um, I think that it definitely goes a long way. And I mean, on the other side, when you're, when you're a visiting team, yeah, if you go to some of these teams that are, you know, the city is very aggressive. You know, I, I think of a lot of teams in the American League, like I'd go play in like Rockford or like Peoria. And, you know, people are, are using some of their whole paychecks to bring their families and go to the game. And they want the right to be able to slam on the window and yell whatever they want <laughs> at you for the next three hours. So it's uh, it definitely, I mean, as you get older, you can just laugh at it and you can like chirp back or, or just, you know, laugh at them. But I mean, maybe when you're younger and you're, you're like a little bit more intimidated, I think it definitely has a, has an effect. Um, and especially in Europe, the fans are pretty wild. They have flags, they're singing the whole game. It's like going to a soccer game. So uh, I think that that's really cool. The, the atmosphere, anybody who's come guys like Alex, our buddy, my brother went with him and, they couldn't believe it. It's pretty much like a party in the stands the whole time. That's so cool, man. I'm happy uh, happy to hear that answer for sure. Thank you. Do you feel that having a shortened season will help or hurt you? I think it will help me being older. That's why I'm, I'm interested to see on the NHL side if they can get going soon, how like the older guys react compared to young guys because I think the new generation of young guys is a little bit different than when I started where, you know, maybe you wouldn't be as serious during this time and training wasn't the same. Whereas now these young guys are, you know, they're faster, they're more athletic, they're, they're better with nutrition, they're training like maniacs and they have endless energy. So I'm interested to see now in the new, in the new playoff format, like how these young 
teams with a lot of young energy how if they can just come out of the gates running because they've probably been training like crazy over this time compared to you know guys that are older with kids and kids at home it's it definitely takes a toll for me i think i've um, been doing well training and but i'm excited to get going again you know i don't i can see that my career is coming to slowly you know maybe the next couple of years to an end so i'm trying to enjoy all the last couple of years so I, i'm excited to get going again in uh, in september when was the last time that you've been off the ice for this long never never in the last I think I looked at like maybe the last 18, 19 years have I been off the ice for like almost four months, which is not great. I mean, for sure for the hips and back and stuff, I've been able to do like a lot of training. We do a lot of posture work. So trying to, you know, I've been shooting pucks as a right-handed shot for the last like 20 years, like endless, endless amount of pucks. So definitely takes a toll on your posture. So that's been, I mean, if you were smart with this time, it's definitely going to be an advantage. Let's just put it that way. That's so cool. That's crazy, eh? Isn't it nuts to, to, to have someone ask you that? Like, you, you've literally, it's been years since you've been off the ice for this long. Yeah, and like, I just to add to that, which, you know, to make a lot of people understand is, like, for my dad who plays hockey or, you know, like our buddies who play, even guys that play a lot, um, when, when you're not used to being on the ice every day, it's a lot easier for you to, like, get back out there because you never really feel, like, 100% smooth. But when you're a professional and you're out there an hour and a half and then you're staying after practice to work on edges and, you know, pivots and going forward backwards or like quick feet on the ice, you get so used to being on blades that you feel so natural that actually if you take this much time off, it affects that person way more than like someone like my dad or guys that don't play as much because they never get to that feeling where they just feel like they're gliding on the ice. Wow. So, so maybe the, the break will hurt a lot of people. I definitely think so, especially being in Quebec. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. We've been pretty restricted in what we can do. So I actually had to call my coach the other day and kind of just say, hey, I've seen you know the, the team Instagram and I've seen them on the ice already like three times a week for the last six, seven weeks. So I called them and said, look, I, don't, I can't promise you anything, but I don't even know if I'll be able to touch the ice before I get there. And uh, I mean, luckily now things are open with, in small groups on the ice. So we'll be able to get going with some, with some, you know, eight to 10 players. So that'll be really good for me, but it's definitely worrisome for some of the Quebec players that are, you know, going back to the NHL that were stuck here and couldn't, can get on the ice. You know, what made me laugh a lot and all the boys were just giggling up a storm the other day. Alex literally got on the ice before you and you're a professional hockey player. Doesn't make sense. Yeah, but this guy's at another <laughs> level. What are, this buddy of ours, Alex, is, uh, I think, forget even the fact that he skated before me this year. The fact that one year, I remember we were we were outside on someone's patio and we actually calculated who had played, who had been on the ice more in the last nine months of my season. And he had beat me out like that one year. And I mean, I'm playing like almost every day. So it's actually insane how much hockey he plays. And I mean, kudos to him. He loves the game that much. I mean, I respect I, you know, like that so much that you're willing to drive everywhere and play because you love it that much. I mean, that's really cool to see. Yeah, you always hear about hockey players love their routines like babies. Obviously, the pandemic threw a big fat wrench into that. How are you handling your day-to-day schedule, lockdown at home with the boys in Kareen? Early on when we came back, it was definitely tough because you know, what I told like a lot of our friends and family or people that would ask was, 
you know, when you were already here in Montreal and you got to see your family and friends, um, and then you, we had this big quarantine where you couldn't really see anybody to be home, especially us. We came from Europe, so for 14 days we were, like, stuck in our house and couldn't go out and get food or whatnot. Um, it was a lot tougher, I feel, because we hadn't seen people in, like, nine months or 10 months or 11 months, and then we get home and we're, like, all excited to see people, and we couldn't do it for like many, many months. We were still doing the FaceTime and the Zoom. So that was definitely tough. Um, and having two kids with just endless energy, we had to find ways. It's cold at that time. So definitely wasn't easy. So we're appreciating you know, the nice weather now and being able to go out. And we want to see you know as many people as we can in a safe way before we leave. So we're trying to book as many people as we can uh, because we know that you know once we leave, you're, it's going to be another nine months that you're going to be away. Do you have any superstitions on or off the ice? No, I have no superstitions except for one way I get dressed is I put on everything on my left side before my right side. Not like in a weird way, like where I'm putting my left skate and my left elbow pad. But like if I put my left skate on, then I put my right skate on. Then I put on my left elbow pad and I put on my right. I do that from the moment I step into the room, put my left shoe on, put my right. I don't know. It's always been like that way. And I think it came from having to get dressed like literally once or twice a day, like my entire life, I just got fed up. Like, and I like to get dressed in six minutes. I'm usually one of the last guys in the room before warm up. So it kind of just helps you have a game plan where it's just like, boom, left skate, put it on tight, right skate. All right. Now I'm looking for my left elbow pad. It's just kind of like a routine. So it's not really a superstition. It's just for me, it's an easier way to get it done. I don't know. That sounds like a superstition to me, man. No, like if I couldn't find my left elbow pad, I would just put my right one on and yell, who has my left elbow pad? You know, it's not <laughs> like it's not like we're going to lose the game now because I didn't put my left elbow pad on first. Okay, okay, okay. What are the most insane superstitions that you've seen from someone else over the years? Wow, this is going to be, I'm going to give you the short version, but I'm telling you something. In Europe, they have the craziest superstition, some of these guys, that it's just like laughable that they think that's why we're, we're winning the game. So, you know, we always have in a huddle, like right before we go out for the first period in the room in Europe, and like the captain will say something, and then like you know, they have like a chat, like uh, he'll say like, let's go, boys, and we say like, let's go. And uh, there's guys that are like literally taking gloves off and they're like knocking on like all the door frames and like they'll like drum in their stalls and then like the other guy will do something. And it's just like at every minute they always have to be doing the same thing. And I'm always like, guys, like this, if you don't do that, it's literally not why we're losing the game. It's like very hard to explain to them that it has literally zero effect. But in their head, that's maybe why. And if hey, if that's gonna make them play better and feel better in the first period, then I mean, whatever, do it. But I just think that it's laughable that that's like what you think is affecting the game. It's like people that watch the game at home and think that if they have the wrong jersey on or they're sitting in the wrong spot in the living room, like that's why their team is down to nothing. Shut up, buddy. You know? Yeah, it's just like I mean, I get it. Like being a fan, like I get it that if like you've been doing it for three weeks and your team's been winning for three weeks, like okay, that's. Yeah, I, I could understand the mentality, but like, let's be honest, when you're in the locker room, you know that's literally not affecting anything that's going out on the ice. By the way, the town meeting is going to put you on full tilt that every time after we toast together when you're there, we're all going to do a routine. Like someone taps twice, someone taps three times, slap the hips, hit the table. Yeah, they're going to be like, if you don't do this, then we're not, no one's having fun tonight. We're going to get you. <laughs> what kind of a curve are you currently using on your stick and why 
So for the last 12 years, I've been using my own custom Noro Curve. Um, no, you can't buy it in the store. It's not that legit yet or probably will ever be, but it's definitely working for me. And I've gone to a few players to actually switch over to it. So they've been like taking my specs and making sticks for them now and they love it. It's basically a, a variation of a sacket curve, which is like a different lie, a little bit of more of a toe. And yeah, it's been working for me. So no matter what sticks, how they change, or if I change companies, I can always get adjusted to the shaft and the flex and where the kick points are. Just as long as I have the curve, you know, give me a week and I'll, I'll, I can play with it. So that for me has been huge to having that consistency. And I never change my tape job. Like some of these guys, if they don't score for 10 games, it's like because they're using white tape. I mean, I don't believe in that. So my, <laughs> my, my blade has literally looked the same for the last like 10 or 12 years. And it's been working. I've been scoring and my, 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 my career has been going really well. So I mean, why change it? I don't play hockey, but if I did play hockey, what color tape would I have? You would probably have like white tape, but just like just on the toe, like some weird, like you know, like some like like a Russian, a young Russian kid coming over from the KHL. <laughs> no Miami Dolphins colors. No, no. Well, I mean, I guess you could actually do that. Just on the toe, though. Just a tip. Have you ever fallen in love with a stick that's no longer being produced? Um, yeah, back in the day, I really liked the, they had the, um, the first Easton shafts, like the orange ones with grip, but you had to put a wood blade in it. So that wasn't really good. Cause I mean, every time you broke the blade, you'd have to like heat it up and take the end part out. And so that was kind of annoying, but the actual shaft was unreal. And that's when I really started being able to shoot the puck and, you know, growing it to my own. So uh, I, I'll always remember that stick. I mean, my dad will too with all the bills he had to pay. <laughs> poor Alain, eh? Yeah, poor him. Poor him, but not poor him. It's okay. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Who has been your favorite equipment manager of all time and why? That's a really good question, actually. Definitely, I would say I've had a few really, really good ones, and I've had a few terrible ones that I won't mention. That like I literally would just like not have them touch any of my equipment for the whole year. <laughs> that's such an insult. To that point, yeah, and that's literally their job. So I mean, I'll leave it at that. But you people would be surprised, even like on some of these teams, you would think would they would go out and and headhunt and try to find play like people in that in that field that would be able to actually help their young guys or you know even in Europe but no you'd be surprised how lackadaisical it is to actually like just keep finding and try, striving to have better people there having better training for them um, I feel like a lot of them are stagnant they get the job when they're just like okay this is what I'm doing and whatever I'll just punch in and punch out every day but I had a guy in San Antonio, Steve Passino. He was great. He'd go out of his way. He'd check your blades. Early on in the year, he asked me, when do you want your blades done? I'd always say before morning skate. I never had to ask him once the whole year. Every morning skate, right before they were done, I never had to be like, hey, you forgot my skates. Like Things like that go a long way. You don't have to worry about it. Like You, have, you don't have to like grab your skates and check them. Like, did he do them this time? And you know, So we always have jokes in Europe. Like We have like these lazy guys sometimes, and... You know, like they never clean our, our visors or like just little things that like when guys really, really care, they make sure that their room is their office. They want it as clean as possible, as mint when you walk in. There's no tape on the floor. Even your equipment has to be perfectly placed. Like they'll do it after <laughs> hours when you leave. 
And we always have jokes because our visors are always dirty. And I'll, I'll always grab my helmet and be like, oh, I guess you skipped me this time. But it's like he doesn't do anybody's, right? So it's just like it is what it is. I mean, uh, some guys love their job. I think it's like anything in life, right? Some people go out of their way to make sure that they're doing the best they can. One of one of my fondest Habs memories being a season ticket holder right next to the bench, PK. And you know what? The whole team with the smelling salts stuffing it in their nose going crazy have you ever have you ever messed with that have you ever used that I, I i don't think i ever asked you i used it a few times being younger in the american league and you see like these vets before the game throwing it around and i i think it was more like a routine or like a camaraderie thing where they would just like have a laugh and sniff it and whatnot i mean maybe for some guys it does really help them but for me, it wasn't really my thing. I didn't feel like I needed that to to get me fired up before the game or to wake me up. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I've played with a lot of guys that do it. In Europe, it's not really a big thing. But one thing they do there is they use this, like, caramel alcohol. And they, like, take, like, a shot of it. Like, it's, like, just sitting in the middle of the room. And, like, it kind of, like, it's like a mint alcohol. And they take that down their throats and then they put their mouth guards in and they go out. I never really understood that, but I guess it like opens up your, 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 like your breathing, like your airways. I think everyone's a drunk who you're playing with on that team. Yeah. They just take little shots undercover all the time. Yeah. Rip a little vodka and then get on yeah. the ice. I don't know about that one. Yeah. We need hey, We need another bottle. <laughs> yeah. Get me one of those bottles. Eh? It actually sounds pretty good. Yeah. I'll bring it in. Actually. It's a, it's actually, I've tried it a few times. It's not really like, I don't need that stuff, but it's, I always want it to be like, what are you guys taking? I need that stuff before I run a property management software company every morning. That's going to be my new routine. Yeah, wake up, have a double espresso, have a caramel shot, ready to go flying. Ready to go, hit the keyboard, let's go. Yeah, here we go. Max, what's the biggest fuck up that you've done on and off the ice? Yeah, so for that question, the biggest, uh, biggest fuck up I've ever done on the ice would be this year, to be honest with you. And it's not even like a, like a hockey mistake. It was more like the game is so fast now. And I've been hitting guys in the middle of the ice for 15 years. Everyone knows that I try to have good timing and, and, and catch guys when they're trying to cut in the middle of the ice and being too cute. But this year, the guy like let up, passed the puck, had no idea I was there probably thought because you're in switzerland like no one's gonna hit you there so when i tried to hit him my timing was so off because he like stopped skating and like wasn't ready for it that i ended up like catching him so high and like really hurting the guy i got suspended for three games my first time in my career and i remember feeling like so horribly after the game i had to like reach out to one of the guys on their team and like ask him for the guy's number and i reached out to him and said like hey man this is not me like i hope you're okay i'm sorry it's not i didn't mean to do that I think the guy really appreciated. I obviously still got fined and suspended. And I can't really say that, like, in a way I learned my lesson because, I mean, that's not really me. There was no lesson to be had. It was just sometimes in hockey, like you see even now, the game is so fast. And, you know, you put in slow motion. I mean, you you can make a half-second clip look like, you know, a minute. But that's not really the way it happens out there. That's so cool. You know what? You actually got off easy because it sounds like the biggest fuck-up on and off the ice because it sounds like you really cared after so you know what you got away with the second bad story smart guy <laughs> yeah there you go i did it <laughs> why did you not stay longer in the ahl yeah it's been a question uh, that's 
been bounced around many, many times over the years with coaches and GMs in Europe or here, family, friends, um, even with my wife. But long story short, I had some really good years when I was 23, 24, playing in Houston and Minnesota had like back then Marek Zalicki, Brent Burns, Kim Janssen. They were like pretty stacked on D and I was now getting my chance and they knew it. So I, they would give me what I call pity games, which is what I got in the NHL where like I would tear it up for the whole year in the American League. Like one year, I think me and Subban led the league. In, in, like we went toe to toe the whole year for goals. Both finished with 18 not even, not even close to his level. I would never do what he did in the NHL, but just to say that I was there with the big boys and I thought I deserved my chance. And when I didn't get it, I said, okay, well, I'm going to go to Europe. So Minnesota could feel that I wasn't bluffing. So they traded me to New Jersey. And I think Europe just fit in me. I love the game. I love sleeping in my bed every night. I didn't have to travel like a maniac all the time. And uh, we got to travel and I, I've seen so much of Europe. So I'm very thankful that I made that decision. And you know, Colorado gave me the chance to come back, play on a on a one way for two years, and unfortunately, it didn't work out. I didn't really uh, feel like I got a chance there either. I had some great numbers in the American League both those years, but you know what? I don't regret it at all. And I'm not going to say, "Oh, it's this guy's fault" or "this guy because he didn't like me." No, I mean at the end of the day, I controlled my own fate. But I'm very, very happy, and and I'm very uh, comfortable where I am now in my career. That's amazing. It's it's. It's so crazy to ask you these questions, man. Really a lot of fun for me. Really unique for me too. Talk to me about the size and physical attributes of the average hockey player, how that's changed over time from the 90s to the 2000s to today, the big brutes, the tall skinny guys, the short fast guys. How has it changed? I mean, I can give that to you in a nutshell. Is like if you just look at me when I started in midget and then in juniors, even though I was putting up great numbers, what was the knock on me? Well, he doesn't have that six in front of his height. You know, I always had the five eleven or five eleven and a half, depending, depending how much I cheated that year on the height test. But I can never get the six feet, and they always said, "Oh no, it's it's you're too small for this game." and that's why maybe teams would pass on me and, and, and say, well, great numbers, we'll invite you to our camp, but you, you're, we're not going to draft you. And so I did a couple camps. You know, I went to the Washington camp, did whatever. And, yeah, maybe back then I was a little bit undersized. And, I mean, you fast forward now, like put me now with my size and what I do on the ice, I mean, it would be that's what every team is looking for is a puck moving guy that can skate, break the puck out. And, you know, so I think the game has changed a lot. And I mean, for the forwards now that you can't hook, you can't hold. Guys are so fast now coming down the middle. As a defenseman, you have to be able to skate so well when you have like a guy like McDavid who's coming at you. You're skating backwards now. You have to turn with him. So you don't really see these six foot five guys that can't skate anymore on the ice. But I'm not going to say that the physicality has gone down because. Maybe the heads don't look so big on TV sometimes, but when you have two guys skating as fast as they can, which is way faster than what hockey used to be, the impact's still going to be there. So I think the physical side will, will still always be there, but definitely the size of the actual players is has, has gone down significantly. It's so cool to hear that. I, I mean, uh, I wasn't going to ask you the question, could play, the best players from today be, or be better than the best players from my dad's age? Forget that. There's so many things involved. It's a huge question. It's going to take us 40 minutes. But clearly the size, I mean, just fat pig slobs in the 90s, maybe like 
pretty big athletic guys in the 2000s. Now, just like small, fast, quick, go. To me as a fan, it's 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 clearly changed over time. For you as as an athlete, as a commodity, as a, as a stock, as as uh, as a player, I mean, it's definitely changed too. And and look, you get lucky sometimes. You don't get lucky other times. If if you're 23 years old today, you're laughing, but it's crazy. Like things really change quickly as time goes on in in the sport. It's it's not the same at all. And and that's why to have longevity, if you are going to have a long career over the course of you know 15 years, things are going to change. You have to learn to adapt, or you'll die. So, for me, I mean, for sure, starting out trying to be heavy, trying to be strong early, trying to prove to people I can you know muscle these big guys out of the front of the net, or I can you know hit guys hard, has completely changed now the way I train and and the way I think the game. It's all about speed, and people will you know pay me more money if they know that I can break the puck out by myself. I don't need to, you know, rim the puck off the glass or whatever. I can, you know, make a night because now the game is all about getting the puck to the, to the center in the middle of the ice as fast as you can. That's where you're the going to be the most dangerous. And the guys that can do it the best on D in the NHL are the guys that get paid the most money. Hockey has clearly taken a major turn technology wise. What is the biggest and the best new gimmick that you find changing your game, do you feel a real difference? Analytics, for sure, now play a huge part in it. For sure, in the NHL, I was just listening the other day to NHL radio, and they were saying how teams are very discreet about it, but they probably have, on average, five, ten staff members that are doing simply analytics because all these Corsi ratings, and I think there's a few other ones, it's not really representative of the actual player because a lot of them are just based off shots on ice, which... I mean, if you're playing against the other team's top line, you're obviously going to have a terrible Corsi rating because you're just playing against the best players every game. So I think some of these you have to take with a grain of salt. But I think the biggest thing is the in-game feedback video. I mean, even in Zurich, we have them where I can like request the iPad or the computer like in between the first or second period, and we can go over like why the power play didn't work, right away make a change, change the breakout, change the setup, give them a different look. And we'll all be on the same page because we saw why it didn't work. And you watch guys in the NHL now, like Crosby grabbing the iPad, like on the bench. I mean, that's that's been really, really, really important. I think in the in the new uh, new NHL and even for us in Europe. That's a great answer. I mean, I'm I'm. It's not a secret. I'm a football first guy. I feel like football's had the iPads for a long time, looking at the pictures from the play, from the blimp, from everything, whatever, the quarterback scrolling, why did I throw a pick, whatever. That's a good answer. That's literally what's going on. You have an iPad in front of your face with video, with with, with photos, with uh, you can pause it, draw notes on it, doodle, whatever. Like That's got to be an advantage. You're, you're spot on for sure, for sure, for sure. Crazy, actually. I feel like historically hockey players have come from a handful of heritages for many, many years. Canadian, American, Russian, maybe Swedish, Finnish. Have you noticed any new countries turning into hockey factories? I think the Finns right now are, for how small of a country they are, they've been producing some really good players and they have a lot of these young guys coming up now so their hockey program for how small and how little i would say compared to canada or Quebec, back even 
uh, how little uh, they have for uh, like as a population of, of young players playing um, have been producing really really good players so they're obviously doing something right and they're they're all of them have just unbelievable shots and one of the guys that helped me the most with my shot uh, was actually a Finn who came to see us in Europe like my first couple years and had all, all these video data almost like what the golfers are using now so he could like film you cut it for you put lines on your screen show you why your angles are wrong while you're uh, your center of gravity is off. That's why you're not getting the good flex in your stick. So you're not using the stick the right way. And, and that's what they do in Finland. Like they break it down. They love the game. They would sleep at the rink. And, um, you know, I think maybe the fact that it's like dark there, like 80% of the winter has a lot to do with the fact that like they just love being on the ice. By the way, I've actually been to Helsinki. Can I tell you one of my memories? I'm not sure if I told you in the past or not. Yeah, I've been there too. A great city. I wore a Saku Koivu t-shirt. <laughs> the whole time I was there, walking up and down, up and down. Oh, Saku Koivu. They love they love hockey. We were there in summer. I was there with my buddy Eric, taking a little Euro trip. Everyone, everyone on the bus, stick, rollerblades, like roller puck. These people love hockey a lot. Honestly, after Canada, number two, no question. Finland, second biggest hockey-loving country I've ever been to and I think exists. I really feel that way. Yeah, I would definitely agree with you. Um, even all the Finns that I've played with are just, like, they love being at the rink. They love warming up. They always cool down. They They work their butts off. Like, they're always training. So... Obviously, the way that they were raised there and the hockey mindset they have is uh, is pretty cool. And having played with a few of them, you can tell like they, they just care so much about the game. There's not a lot of daylight in the city, by the way. It gets pretty dark there in the winter. Yeah, that's what I mean. We actually played a few games there because like, we play in the Champions League, which is like the best teams in Europe, like in soccer. So you go play against like other top teams in Europe. And at the end, it's like you're kind of crowned like the champion of Europe. And we've also had a few Finns, obviously, that I've played with. So when you follow them online, I mean, you see pictures in the winter and it's just like it's absurd. Like at two in the afternoon, there's already no sun. So, I mean, I'm sure then like, what are you going to do? Kids just like rush to the rink and they go indoors and they just shoot pucks for eight hours. Even though you are a young man in the prime of your life and career, after 13 years of playing professional hockey, diet has certainly played a big part in your day-to-day. I know that you're a big health nut. I know that you're a workout freak. I know that you literally own a gym. Talk to me about how you manage to stay fit every day. I mean, every day is is, is reaching pretty far because... I think at one point, just like anything, you need a break. And I'm not saying to go crazy, but let's say after every season, I do give myself every year a good two, three weeks, maybe sometimes more, where um, I'm doing passive stuff, going for walks with the kids, playing outside with them. I'm not thinking about training. I'm not thinking so much about nutrition. I never really say dieting because for me it's just like how I eat. So it's not like I, it's like I force myself to have a diet. It's I just eat really well. Uh, but I definitely take more liberties and uh, put on a few LBs during those three, four weeks. And, and it's okay. Mentally it, it kind of 
you know, puts you, it, it puts everything in perspective and then you, you get back to work and yeah. And for the rest, I mean, every year as you get older, you, you know, especially playing this game, that's pretty, pretty tough on the body. You realize that inflammation in the body is, is a huge factor when you're playing for recovery, for energy. I mean, even in day to day life. So for us now as hockey players, athletes, a lot of, I think even for everybody in general, keeping inflammation down is is like a huge key to health so uh, we take now stuff that we wouldn't maybe take back in the day um you know like turmeric or turmeric pills or using turmeric to cook with chicken or with ginger and you know a lot of stuff like that where like back then it was just like eat your meat and potatoes and do your workouts and you'll be good to go and now i think it's changed a lot and uh, I feel like at 33, it's like really going to help me being able to recover and play a lot of minutes, you know, for the next, you know, three, four years, hopefully maybe more. That's so cool, man. By the way, that's big Iraqi food. My uh, mama Linda, big fan of the turmeric chicken. Yeah, man. I started using that, but I also have turmeric pills from our gym that we, we pop and, and I mean, it has like all the cucuma and, and like pepper and stuff like that that like you can absorb better so it's like it's just easy man you go at night you take two pills you go to bed yo mama leonie knows she knows what's going on yo she knows she knows her health and she man. makes a mean almond cookie does she yeah. yeah come come have a couple nibbles next weekend yeah man yo have some at your house so i can have some don't worry they're top shelf in the fridge <laughs> <laughs> no joke they're literally top shelf so Devin can't reach them are they wow it's hilarious top man. shelf where the little step stool doesn't reach yeah exactly that's really top upper level what does a typical max noro workout look like preseason during the season postseason give me a couple bullet points for each right now uh so mid-summer or i'd say more almost end of summer for me since i'm gonna be leaving early august uh I mean, I've, I've had this trainer, Jeff Gaudreau, who's partners with me at the gym, uh, the Sank Espan, which is just on the south shore of Montreal. We have a lot of athletes there now, a lot of hockey players. And I think the reason, I mean, obviously, it's we saw we did the gym, we, we, we did the inside really well. It's very nice. It's very um, easy to use. Everything's in the right spot. Um, transitions are easy in there. But having JF there is huge. And what we rely on a lot is tempo training because – Anybody can move a lot of weight or anybody can go fast, but can you control that weight? And, you know, basically that teaches your nervous system how to control stuff on the ice. So, you know, instead of putting loads and loads and loads of weight on now, especially with my age, it helps, but we do it with their younger kids is, you know, he'll say, okay, go down in a squad with the bar and with like half the weight you normally would. And you're kind of like, what's this guy talking about? All the new guys that come in every year are like, this guy's crazy. Like, it's like nothing. It's going to be the easiest workout. And then he'll say, go down in four seconds all the way, hold it for three seconds. And then when you're completely static, now try to do it in one second up. And now you try to do five reps of that and you feel like you're going to pass out. So that's been really huge. Um, just being able to control the body better and not having to put like a million pounds on your back. And how do you exercise during the year? You're on the ice, you're running around, you're ripping shots. How are you exercising mid-season? I think for every player, it's different. Some guys need more gym time. Some guys need to be on the ice more to feel the puck in season. 
I my routine now is early on I get to camp I get as much ice as possible so I like I'll very rarely work out before practice I'm just out there do practice see how tough it is and then I'll just shoot pucks different angles one timers different shots uh, with no stick handling and then I'll do a little bit of a skate and then I see how much energy I have and then I start putting some time in the gym whether it's just like core or recovery or whatever and then in season, once I get a good rhythm going and I'm playing a lot of minutes, I'll almost never skate. So, like, if practice is optional, I'm not skating. If morning skate's optional, I'm not skating. But I'm going in the gym and I'm doing with very lightweight, um, like really explosive stuff. We have this machine that you can hook up to any bar, almost any dumbbell, and it's like a pulley system. And when you pull it as fast as you can, it, it'll tell you on the iPad how fast you just move that bar. And so we'll do workouts with that with like not a lot of weight, just teaching your body how to be fast. And like I use that as like my workout, but I don't have to put much weight on it. Season ends, you go home, enough's enough. Are you working out? Is there a postseason workout or are you just taking a breather? I'm taking 100% a breather. Even when I was younger, I always thought it was huge because... I consider myself one of the guys that puts in the most hours, like whether it's in the gym or even like recovering, like there'll be nights where halfway through the movie, I'm on the floor, like foam rolling, stretching just to make sure my body feels good. Or if I have an ache, like I can take care of it. I don't let it linger for three weeks. I can just, you know, one or two days and, and, and it's gone. So putting in that much time and effort is like very demanding. It's very draining. So being able to take those three, four weeks, like I said, and like go on vacation or come home and see my families and go to restaurants that I haven't been to in like nine months, I think is, is, is it's a reward at the end. You're, you're basically saying like, you know, great job this year and, and like do it again in a month, start over and let's do it again. But I think for anybody, you need that mental break. We both have two kids. The older boys happen to be a few days apart. Talk to me about daddy duty how you're keeping the little hedgehogs busy these days. Uh, you would know just like me, right? Being at home, uh, especially during this time. So, uh, I mean, Mason is definitely a ball of energy. The older one um, is definitely going to be more like an actor. He's just nonstop. Uh, he only has one level. It's, it's, we call it more. Everything he does is more. So if he's laughing, <laughs> he's laughing more than anyone. It's louder than anyone. If he's, if he's mad, he's, throwing stuff and whatever so i mean it's just it's every day it's you're you're teaching these little humans right so it's 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 a blessing to have them they're healthy they're you know they're not we're not going to complain about anything we spend time with them so um i'm not going to say it was always easy because they have that much energy and you're trying to be productive in your own way with work and workouts and whatnot if you're working at home but uh it's it's definitely great to have them, and uh, we're you know we it, they're number one. So from now on in our career, like this year, all the decisions had nothing to do with money, with hockey, with you know the cities. It was all about are the kids okay? What schools are they going to go to? Is this a good environment for them? And then you know you get to that level in your life where like that's what's most important. You know what? I've thought this many times, but I haven't felt compelled to speak about it publicly. But you seem like the perfect person to ask. We're literally in the same situation. We're best friends. We have kids super similar in age. Right now, we're living through a moment in history, a moment in time where dads and their children will never spend more time together, keeping it real, 
keeping it authentic. Like you'll never ever, and neither will I be with any baby in our lives more than we have been the last several months. It'll never happen again. It's a blessing. It's a little annoying, but it's unique. How do you feel about that? <laughs> yeah, like you said, I mean, I use the term sometimes overwhelming just because you're trying to get stuff done. Now, life is somewhat, I don't think it'll ever go back to normal, which is like, you know, who's to say what normal really was for anybody, but it, it's never going to go back to what it was. And, you know, right now it's, you know, you're trying to get stuff done where we, we know we're moving to Switzerland. We have to move out of our house here because we sold it because we're going to a new one. And having the kids around is, you know, and you, you're not just going to stick them in front of the TV all day. You want them to learn and, you know, be productive and do different things, work, stimulate them. So it's been very taxing trying to make sure that they're, you know, keeping up and making sure that they're okay. And, and they're being, uh, you know, they're, they're doing different things every day, but with speaking with other people, you realize, you know, especially older people is, you're you're gonna look back on these years and you're, you're gonna want them back even for how even for how overwhelmed you are now or how much craziness is in your house or how messy your house is you're gonna want these years back because one day it's gonna be like super quiet super clean and you're gonna be missing the chaos and these little buggers running around uh, flipping your couch cushions over every day and having to put them back every night before you go to bed but you know what, at this point, I'm trying to enjoy it because I know that one day they'll be 18 and they'll probably never call me. So <laughs> it's you got you to gotta take it in now. Are you grooming your boys to play puck? I'm going to do exactly what my parents did on the sports side is just push for them to be good students. Like I want Mays to be able to sit down and, and, and Willie to you know, be able to sit down and, and, and learn. And, you know, as the, their age, it's all about like the alphabet and all these little things. And yes, every day I'm trying to instill a little bit of sports in their lives, whether it's, you know, we have like little golf clubs, we have baseball, we have a trampoline in the back. I mean, I don't really care. I, I would love them to be active, whether it's not for like actual sports, just to move. I think it's important in life, but I'm kind of, you know, it doesn't bother me either way, whether they want to play or not. I feel like Willie is going to be more of the the athlete already. He loves, like, taking the golf club with one hand and trying to smack the ball. He kind of figured out already, like, how to do that. But for Mace, I mean, like I said, he's an actor. And I play hockey with him once in a while, but after eight minutes, he's done. And that's I'm fine with that. I mean, as long as whatever he wants to do, he's, he's all in. Like my dad used to tell me, it, it could be whatever. Are you going to guide them down the same path that Big Al guided you down? Are you going to change it up? Would you encourage hockey, maybe another sport? Uh, yeah, 100% I would encourage some sort of sport or just like something where you're being very active, using your body. I think it's really important. So, you know, for Mace, if he doesn't want to be a hockey player, but, you know, he's got pretty quick feet. Every time he changes schools or comes home to this daycare in Canada, it's always, wow, he's He's so fast. It's insane. Like he doesn't listen, but he's very fast. So I always told him, well, maybe, maybe he can run track. Then that would be a good sport for him. You know, just run in a circle, and then we'll tell you when you're done and you won. You know, like that'd be a good sport for him, maybe. Based on experience, I think if uh, yelling at chickens was a good sport, Mason would be the best at it. Yeah, definitely. He he'd be definitely on the podium uh, pretty often if that was the case. Because what's his noise? What's his noise? My God. 
and then he just yells that over and over and he'll climb the back backyard uh, like mini kid's house and then I'll be like, Mason, get down. He'll just tell me like, no, daddy, I just want to yell at the chicken. No, daddy, the birds like it. Yeah, they like it. They enjoy it. There are literally five questions, including this, that we must go through. What is the biggest regret in your illustrious 13 going on 14 season career playing professional hockey? My biggest regret would probably picking signing with Colorado when I had to come or had to when I wanted to come back so badly, so desperately from Europe to give it one more shot. Being in my late 20s, I thought it would be a perfect time and I was doing so well over there that word got around that, hey, maybe we like some team should give this guy a shot. And um, crazy story was, I don't know if you remember this, we were at some one of our buddies' bachelor parties in Vegas. And I remember having to make the decision because I sold a contract in Embry and we had to like buy ourselves out. And it was kind of like, okay, we have these contracts now in the NHL for a one-way, like who are you picking? And I had to go over it with uh, my agent and like kind of step out of the bubble of the bachelor party and be serious for a minute. And, you know, I thought I trusted them. I trusted Patrick Waugh and obviously it didn't work out. And uh, if I had to do it over again, I would have done more homework and maybe made a better decision. But I mean, in retrospect, how could you really know how things were going to turn out? You know what, man, Patrick Waugh, there's a Jersey on my man cave wall. I'm taking it down. Who is the one player that I need to buy a jersey signed to replace the Patrick Wad jersey with. I'm over him. Honestly, honestly, I'm done with Patrick. It's enough. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you I'll give you I'll give you his number. Give me a player that I'm replacing that I'm smashing it. Forget about Patrick. Give me any player who's the biggest beauty. History of hockey. Don't even smash it. Just take it out and reuse that frame and just put Patrick Waugh's jersey somewhere else. Okay, so which one? Who's the biggest ultimate beauty in the history of hockey? And by the way, I don't know if a hockey jersey is recycle, but it's going in the recycling bin on Tuesday. (laughs) I mean, biggest beauty, I don't know. Is it coffee with coffee or someone else? I mean, I had a coffee one done up because, I mean, he he was basically what I wanted to be when I started playing, obviously. And he did it in an era where guys were even bigger and there was holding. So what he did was obviously really special. But who's the biggest? My my personal pick, because he changed the game for so many people, is is forever going to be Bobby Orr. Bobby! Bobby, the famous goal, the famous picture. The famous being on a three-on-five PK and just, like, carrying the puck around the ice, killing a minute and a half by himself. Like, just, you know, just endless videos of this guy just toying with people in the NHL is, is, is pretty iconic. Do you have a copy of the picture? Yeah. Downstairs in my basement, I was gifted that. My family knew how big of a fan I was. So I believe it was my uncle and maybe a few other people pitched in, and they got me a signed like limited edition maybe there was a hundred like frames with a few pictures and then the main picture in the middle that sign is him after the goal jumping in the air so max if you could go back in time and tell young max something what would it be probably just to take it more lightly have fun um i thought even at a young age i was probably wise or mature beyond my, my years and maybe was a little bit too serious at times and probably helped me most of the time but there were definitely times where i 
I was overthinking the game, overthinking the moment. And I remember in my early 20s, like reading all these books like that, you know, this uh, psychologist, sports psychologist is before all the players started using it, would use, would, would write about like MLB players and how, like how they deal with stuff, pitchers. And I remember reading all this stuff, trying to help myself and it took me a long, long time to figure that out. And I feel like, you know, after my thirties, I'm having some of my best years ever because I would say my, I wouldn't say the care level goes down, but the care level of what people think about me after the game has gone down tremendously where I can literally leave the game at the rink and I can come home to my kids and my wife and just be like, I'm now I'm a family man and it doesn't matter. I'm not Max the hockey player anymore. So whether they want to write, I played horribly tonight is literally not going to make me lose sleep anymore. That's so cool, man. By the way, I love Max the hockey player a lot. He's a good dude. Thanks, man. <laughs> He's the coolest dude in the world, man. Yeah, I, I love Max the hockey player. I love Max. So good. If you could give any advice to any of the young listeners that are starting out in hockey, what would you tell them? Probably two things, and they're both quotes by uh, Theodore Roosevelt because I've really believe in these and for some reason they both stuck with me my whole life and it's just funny they're from the same person but he said once uh we must all wear out or rust out every single one of us i have my choice is to wear out which is kind of like how i feel like my career went where i was willing to put in the time put in the work instead of sitting around and just waiting for life to go by and and kind of you know as you get older so i just kind of took it and every day you know I, i i put in the time and like we were saying before, you know, a couple of days ago, I was telling you, you know, even at our at our gym, these young guys that come in and see our workouts before, knowing they're going to have to do the same thing and they see us breathing heavy, bent over, not feeling good, like putting in the work and now they're, they're already complaining, saying how tough it's going to be. And, you know, there was a day where I had to go over to them and say, hey, if you're not willing to do this and you're not going to be a professional hockey player, you're going to be just a hockey player, just a guy having fun with his buddies. But if you're willing to do it, it'll give you the chance to be a pro hockey player, which I'm assuming is what you want to do. So instead of complaining and sitting around and saying, oh, this is going to be such a long hour, just embrace it and tell yourself one day you'll literally work one hour a day and get paid for it. It's so cool, man. That's uh. <laughs> so much knowledge man <laughs> i'm gonna charge for the podcast you know what you're gonna have to pay money to listen to this because it's too much free game it's not fair yeah i definitely ranted on there because i didn't even get to the second one but i think the, that one was enough because that's the essence of it i feel like you could have all the skill in the world and there's probably a 0.01 percent of those people that will actually make it off pure skill the rest of the people will have to put in the work they're going to be sprinkling the curd cheese on the poutines at the Bell Center because they're not playing hockey today, bud. No, you'll be watching it on TV serving the poutine to Jay Margell. Let's go. Lactose-free vegan <laughs> poutine with the sauce to match. <laughs> Two last questions. Let's have fun. Super curious. What sound makes you the horniest? On and off the ice. So on the ice, definitely 
ripping a nice one-timer on the power play, posting in, and then just feeling the crowd after. There's nothing, there's no better feeling than that. And then being able to skate down the, the bench after giving props to all the guys on the team, it just, it sends chills down your spine for sure. So you live for those moments. And off the ice, I mean, after the first moment, being able after the game to come home to the family and opening up a nice bottle of wine like that is uh, another great sound for, for the off-ice. I mean, that's, that would be just like the perfect night. Every time, perfect pop, eh? Perfect, yeah. I mean, I don't think you should actually make that noise if it's a good bottle, but... Let's just say you're drinking everyday wine. That's probably a good one. But I think normally you're supposed to ease it out of there. How many corks? Because I remember that you have a big cork collection. How many corks are hiding in there right now? Too many. I <laughs> and they're not all me. So don't I don't, I don't, don't want people judge to think, me. Yeah, yeah. Don't judge me for my cork collection. No. Every time we travel, especially lately in Europe, we have these huge dinners for our team. Or we go somewhere and, you know, I'll, I'll tell the chef or people that I know, like, hey, keep them for me. And so they'll, I'll come home with massive bags of, of corks and we're going to use them in our next house, like as decoration in the basement, in the, in the boys' room, in the movie room, uh, sports room. So uh, I already have a couple frames that are made out of like just pure corks. So uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Wow, man. That's actually crazy, man. Just saving the corks for the cork room. By the way, they're going to disappear one day, eh? Well, that's, I mean, yeah, 100%. Now I, I've been looking and there's even like some pretty good bottles of wine too that they're not going to be able to sustain, keep using like just regular corks. So they're going to go to like these fake plastic corks, which I'm interested to see what happens to the wine after. F*** bro. F*** those yeah, exactly. fake oh, yeah. plastic corks. Oh, yeah. You're not good enough to have a real cork. You're done. Oh, yeah. Avi, <laughs> good luck beeping all those <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Last question for the night before we go out and have a nightcap on FaceTime. What are you doing today to stay corona-free? Yeah, definitely keeping up on uh, everyday updates, which I feel like in Quebec lately I've been slowing down, which is maybe a, a positive thing. I think everyone should already be aware of pretty much what they're supposed to do. But, yeah, definitely, especially with kids, you have to be extra vigilant, making sure that they're keeping, uh, you know, not touching everything, making sure you have hand sanitizer for them because it is very hard to control them as soon as you leave the house. So, um other than that i mean making sure that we we the people that we do see are 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 trustworthy and we know that they're they're being safe as well and that way you get to see people and somewhat enjoy what uh what's left of my summer will will be greatly appreciated if i only have one month left that's so funny man you're not even looking at the schmutzig people man get away from me you can talk to max noro next summer when you're less schmutzy eh yeah, only only the close circle. That's it. Don't even look at me if you're in the medium circle. Don't. Yeah, even the medium circle. I don't even want a message on my phone. Max, man, episode twelve. It's insane. We've done this twelve times, and your Mister Twelve is a rap. Our kids better listen to this many years from today. 
I don't know about your wife, but my wife has not listened to many of these. She's saving them for a rainy day. I hope Kareen listens to this one day and has as much fun as you and I did. It's such a nightcap on the friendship. How could I not talk to you for a couple hours? This whole thing is is a blessing. It's unbelievable to chit-chat with you and open up the friendship playbook to, to this extent. Max, man, you're such a beauty. You're the infinite beauty. You're the 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 finest example of a gentleman thank you so much for doing this with me thank you for saying yes and we did it man it's a wrap do you have any final words and then we're gonna kick it to uncle avi for the little nightcap nightcap if you know what i mean no this has been great it's just uh it has it was easy you know just talking to my boy didn't feel like i was doing an interview or anything so and uh proud of what you're doing man you're you're making the best of this situation of being at home stuck at home so good for you to branch out with the podcast with the chickens that my kid can yell at whenever he comes in your backyard and i mean all the best and uh i'll be listening i'm on the road a lot these days with the with the big move with the different projects so i'm always throwing you on and interested to see what your listeners and your uh your your guests have to say i can't wait for you to listen to you by the way it's gonna be the weirdest thing ever. I don't. I don't even know if I can. If I can do it for the whole hour or whatever it's gonna be. Either way, Mister Mister, get me out of here. I'm sick and tired of COVID. I want to go to my office. I want a life. I want to go to Grinder with Max and Marco and have a steak without sweating. It's enough. Let's all get healthy. Stay home. I'm freaking out, but I love you, Max. Until next time, my brother. Love you too, bro. And that's a wrap on episode 12, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for rocking with us once again. I can't believe that those words just came out of my mouth. Episode 12. Holy shit. This podcast is flying. The last three months have been such a good time. I can't wait for episode 13, 14, all the way to 120. Bis 120 for all my Shanato Vaz out there. You know what I mean, bud? Make sure that you're following us on Instagram at BehindTheFounderPOD. You can check us out directly on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Just search for Behind the Founder Podcast or by typing in my name, Jonathan Margell. Get ready for episode 13. I promise you it's going to be the silliest episode ever. Shout out, Cousin Alan. We are going to be talking about my experience with my four lovely, beautiful little cluckers, the Margell Four, the little chickens living in my backyard. I've had the birds for a few weeks now. I have so many stupid things to share with you. All the experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's going to be hilarious. You do not want to miss next week's episode. There's a lot of notes written down and we're going to go through all of them. 
But until then, take care of yourselves, enjoy the summer weather, and we will be right back in a few days. Until then, peace.